Welcome to GradChat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's GradChat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and CFRC 101.9 FM. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. And I'm going to just apologise a little bit. My voice is a little bit different today because I have got a bit of a head cold. But there we go. I didn't want to miss this interview because I think you're all going to find it absolutely fascinating as much as I did when I first saw the topic coming on. So today I would like to introduce you to Francesco Murado, who is doing a Master of Applied Science in Electrical and Computer Engineering under the supervision of Dr. Joshua Marshall. Welcome to Grad Chat, Frank. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, hello, Kingston, and yeah, thanks, Colette. <laughs> I don't think anyone said hello, Kingston yet, oh. but we should, shouldn't we? <laughs> we should be saying hello, Kingston. I love it. <laughs> I'm kind of going to go straight into your topic because yeah. the, when I read your research topic, first of all, awesome, and secondly, there were some words in there that I just want to make sure everyone understands before we go to delve too much into to what you have been doing. So um, your research topic is frontier exploration using sound source localization as a heuristic for search, teaching a robot dog to hunt people. Yes. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, <laughs> we're going to have robot dogs and I can just see all these movies and things that were, <laughs> were, were, that were going on. First of all, um, just to make sure we all understand some of these big words, as I call them, what do you mean by um, heuristic? What What is that definition in computing terms? Uh, in computing terms, it's uh, a way of measuring something. So we can make a decision based on this heuristic. So for us, it's um, it's the direction of the sound and maybe necessary, not necessarily, but how loud, loud that sound is from that direction. So okay. we can choose where we're going to explore next um, based on the sounds that we hear in the environment. And uh, we can follow what we think to be is the correct sound. So it's a lot of trial and error. I mean, like any yeah. research, there's a lot yeah. of, it's basically putting it down to a lot of trial and error. We'll, we'll try this. That didn't work. Let's try something else. <laughs> yeah. So actually, this this interview is a great example of this. Um, I moved it or I wanted to do it in May so that I had a better shot of it, uh, you know, me having a fully functioning research product and I could talk more about like the entire system. Um, and we've actually hit a couple of road bumps within those two weeks. So oh, yeah, more trial go. and error. Um, I have plenty to talk about. Uh, but it's not fully functional just yet. Well, the thing is we can learn lots from the errors, right? Just yeah. as much as we yeah. can for those things that work. Yeah. Um, and I, I always have to remind some of our students, particularly those in labs and things, that you've got the, a little culture and one thing goes wrong. They go, oh, my God, yeah, but you crossed that off the list. Now the next person won't go and, and do that and waste their time doing Hopefully. the same thing. So, as long yeah. as you write it down. Um, Good point. Yeah. You've got to write it <laughs> down. Um, so... 
you know, the other part is teaching a robot dog. Um, yeah. So you are exploring new capabilities of a robot dog. Yes. Yeah. And you mentioned in your notes to me that you've had the opportunity to work with the Boston Dynamics Spot raid Robot. Can you first tell us a bit about Spot the Dog, which we've probably a lot of people have probably heard, and yeah. the Boston Dynamics Spot Robot? Yeah, so we have a great opportunity at Ingenuity Labs. I think we're one of the first research labs in Canada to get access oh, to one of these right? dogs. Oh, is that right? From yeah. outside? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the, the way the lab works is because we have so many collaborators, we can purchase equipment. Uh, together. Right. Um, so this is a shared robot amongst maybe 20 different professors and there are 150 plus researchers. Right. But uh, more about the spot robot. So uh, Boston Dynamics, who is an American company, um, they this is their first commercial product. Uh, they do a lot of, um, they're funded primarily by DARPA, so they do a lot of military research, but this oh, is their okay. first commercial facing product. And it's a quadrupedal robot, so it's a robot that has four legs. Um, it's uh, just some s stats here. It's about the same size as a golden retriever. That's how I explain That's it to people. That's pretty big. Yeah, it's, so it's uh, 70 pounds, and like the proportions are pretty much the exact same size. Right. Um, it's a little less fuzzy and a little less friendly, uh, but it's not there to, to hurt anybody. So <laughs> Yeah, but you, would, you use the word hunt, hunt people. Yeah, yeah. So that's the more darker way of explaining my research, I would say. It's to get, it's to uh, generate interest when I'm explaining it to people because right. sound source localization for frontier exploration doesn't really, no. it rhymes, thankfully. It does, uh, but yeah, you have to think of it a bit harder about it. Yeah. Yeah, so they people have actually told me that there's a episode of uh, Black Mirror about robot dogs hunting oh, really? people. I haven't seen it yet. I think I'm <laughs> gonna have to uh, watch it before my thesis defense. I think so. <laughs> so that if you know, if they field any questions about that, I can. You can you can do it. Yeah, but no, the the dog is great. It's self balancing, so I'm not writing any of the kind of the core code to make mm -hmm. it stand up or to make it walk around. I'm doing more of the bigger systems, the planning, the stuff like that. It can take a good kick. We had the uh, prime minister of Canada. Uh, last summer over and he right. was able to drive it and one of the demos we used to do is allow people to kick it and it kind of self writes itself oh that's i don't like people kick kicking dogs in general yeah <laughs> yeah well I, I mean good news is that we stopped allowing people to do that right. some people were taking uh, advantage of that uh they were kicking it way too hard or they wouldn't ask us before they were kicking it right so so you mentioned originally it's yeah. it's been used by darpa you know defense yeah. forces and yeah. My understanding that is for things like, um, which I think we've seen in various TV shows and things, yeah. where they look for bombs and yeah. so, so it's safer for humans. They send out this yeah. robot instead of. So the original use for this one was actually as a as a replacement for uh, camels and for pack mules. Oh. So the one that they started with, I think, what was it called, the mule, or it was a very large version of Spot, so about okay. the size of a cow. Uh, and wow. it was gas operated. Then they switched to electric and they've had all these different versions. Right. Um, but it was built to carry supplies over mountainous terrain. Okay. And I think the result of that is that it was much more expensive than, well, you know, say mm -hmm. getting a pack meal. Uh, so. Well, yeah, I don't see the, yeah. I don't see the, <laughs> I hate to say, it, I don't see the logic in that because, right. you know, being able to train, different terrain, that's yeah. so unpredictable, the terrain that you're going to be confronted with. Yeah, but the result of that is that we got a great commercial product. Um, okay. It's used by tons of different companies, uh, especially like construction. Um, Ontario Power Generation has one. So instead of sending someone to, say, one of their hydro generation plants to, 
you know, go check some dials or check if anything is leaking. Um, they can have someone on their on their couch at home on the weekend, and they can log into the spot robot, and oh. it can manage uh, pretty much the same as anybody else that's going to look at something in the facility. So, but it's still working from someone's putting in the the like uh, controlling the it. control. Yeah. yeah. So they're not thinking about it themselves. They're getting someone's telling them, "You need to do this now. Check this. Check that." Yeah. So this is an interesting question because this goes to where my research is extending the capabilities of this robot. So when Spot comes out of the box, it's more of a teach and repeat style robot. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, it's like monkey see, monkey do. Right. We show it what to do. We show it where to go. Uh, as it's doing that for the first time when we're controlling it, it's building a map of its environment and it's finding key points to kind of figure out where it, where it is in the environment. And then after we do that and we've told it, you know, go to point A and uh, look at this dial and then take a picture and send it to us. Right. Uh, after it's done all that, it can do it autonomously. You can set it up on a schedule like your alarm clock. Um, and you can, it, it, you know, it could fill out Excel sheets for you so you don't have to walk around and uh, do it yourself. So you use the word autonom- autonomously. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean by that, just so everyone understands? Because I've got a definition here. Let's so, see if it's the same. It, that's hard because I think there's like multiple definitions for autonomous. So autonomous in the sense of out of the box for spot would be this teach and repeat style. Right. So after you teach it, it can address changes in its mission. Right. So a good example was we took it to some train tracks and we got it to walk around. We did this teach and repeat style learning. And then we put oil drums in its way. Right. So its environment has changed now and it's able to adapt. So I would call that in in some sense, that's autonomous. It's making its own decisions. Then there's, I would say the level upwards, you know, fully autonomous, you give it a more loose mission. So for my research, I would be putting the robot, say, in a forest. Well, we're going to start in a lab setting, but right. we'll, we'll be ambitious. So we put it down in a forest and we say, go look for the source of this incoming sound. So we have someone, say, 100, 200 meters away yelling at it, right. um, hopefully in a, in a nice tone of voice. And the robot will have to decide where to explore next which direction to travel, the path that it's going to take to get there, all these types of decisions. So this is more fully autonomous. Yeah, so it's giving a lot more freedom. Yeah. So they know what the end goal is. Now you're allowing them to figure out how to get to the end goal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think a good example is like, um, cruise control is in some way autonomous. You're not pushing the gas pedal, but you know your your Tesla is more well, hopefully more self-driving as it as it continues. Right, so right. It's different levels of autonomy. Mm, it can be scary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, all these movies, <laughs> we, all these things that people think of. Uh, if you don't mind me uh, adding to this, our, our previous researcher, Shungin Park, she was a student that came over from South Korea. Right. And she also worked with the Spot robot. Her research was making the approach of Spot more friendly. So the application was for like uh, food delivery robots in, okay. in, in malls mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And her study was, she w- you would sit in the room, in the, or in the middle of the room in a chair, and she designed different approach patterns. So right. the robot would autonomously choose an approach pattern. It would look at where you're facing so that it's not running directly at you aggressively. Okay. It would uh, scoot around you with its head down. It would come up from the side very slowly. So we're tra- also trying to uh, make it more friendly. That could so. probably freak someone out if they didn't see it coming up. Right yeah, scary. Yeah, it's, it's quite loud. So I hope uh, I hope it doesn't sneak up on you. But yeah, that, that's it's interesting how they do that. So um, what is it like working with? spot the robot or spot the dog or spot robots yeah no no this is great um 
I think with any robot, it's a mix of this is this is amazing and this is also very frustrating. Uh, it's a balance of I get to work with uh, probably like one of the coolest robots that's commercially available right now. Right. It's also one that very few research institutes or universities get access to, so I'm really thankful for that. The other side of it is the robot's a weird mix of the software and the hardware being locked down as well as open at the same time. Okay, so uh, there's some basics that you they want you to keep, yeah. and then you can manipulate the rest. Yeah, so I mean, Boston Dynamics, they've been working on this probably for over 20 years, so right. they have plenty of secrets that they want to sell to you, but you don't want to yeah. necessarily have access to. Right. So that's been a bit frustrating. But it's also good for you because you're going to have to learn how to yeah. think for yourself too, not just take what someone yeah. else has done i mean it must be more challenging and rewarding yeah. to find things out for yourself yeah and i mean that's just research in general you don't mm -hmm. want to uh be handed it uh, you want to create something new but yeah other than that uh working with the spot robots has been great i really want to thank them for how well they've documented both the software and the hardware any question you could ever want about this robot is in the documentation and as a right. computer programmer that's rarely the case so well, that's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but you mentioned at the beginning, you're not actually doing the coding per se. You're doing something else. So, what do you mean by that? Because you're looking at sound source localization or exploration of yeah. that. And so, what do you mean by that? And then also, what is the application you're trying to get this robot to do? I mean, yeah. is it someone in distress and trying to find them if there's been an earthquake and they'll be able to hear someone the faintest of sounds or? Uh, this is yeah. This is probably going to be a bit of a long answer, but so the the project itself is you have like research related projects where you're coming up with a kind of a unique approach or a unique algorithm, and then you have development projects. So mine's more of a development related project. Okay. I'm taking the research and some components from many different areas, and then I'm combining them into this like unique autonomous system. So that's my goal: is I press start and the robot does its job correctly. Right. Um, so I'm doing hardware, software, talking to previous researchers that I'm using their components in my system. A couple of guys from Sherbrooke University who have been very helpful. So thank you very much. That's good. And then the intended use currently is for search and rescue. This is the very first attempt at doing this in a forest setting. So our goals are, they're, we're not trying to search for someone like kilometers away. We're, we're starting at very small distances. My goal is, you know, in between 100 and 200 meters, I would say. The limitation to that is mostly just sound doesn't travel that, that crazy far. Well, you can pick up, you know, very small frequencies from a, a long distance, but uh, having the robot detect that and detect that that's a human and not, say, a bird or, right. or a car, that, that part's difficult. So what's the difference then between using a robot and a dog who has been trained to find yeah. people? Well, I think with robotics, we're trying to mimic like na nature around us. So we're not necessarily trying to make it better than a dog. We're trying to see if we can mimic what a dog can already do. So there's actually similar research that has been done using, they're called olfactory sensors. So mm -hmm. it's like your nose. Yes. So it's a similar study to mine on a much smaller robot in a much smaller area uh, where they used a mix of microphones as sound sensors and these nose, these fake noses. So it's like a, a sniffing dog. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I, love it. Um, yeah. I guess one thing that I would see the advantage of it over using a dog is that if it's in a dangerous area, you don't want the dog to get hurt yeah. in the search and rescue. Whereas, you know, let's send a robot in yeah. first, and once they know the area is, they've found a, 
the person, for yeah. instance, and they found that it's safe, then to help guide you even more, maybe then the dog can come in just yeah. to sit there and wait and kind of thing. Yeah, we can. I mean, the robot costs a lot of money, but we can always yeah. sacrifice the robot. I'd rather do that than than the dog than anybody's dog. Mm-hmm. This was kind of actually the secondary application for this robot. The first one, the the way we came up with this idea was uh, illegal logging. So there's zones where okay. they're doing logging, and right. then at night we have other people that aren't associated with the company coming in and cutting down trees. Right. Now, previously, what they've done to battle this is they mount microphones in the trees. Right. And they can using they can triangulate where this person is. We wanted to come at it a different approach. And what that approach was, was instead of having multiple microphones uh, spread out that you have to mount, we have one microphone or a grouping of microphones on the back of this mobile robot, so Spot. Okay. Spot's capable of going through the forest. Uh, that's what it's built for. So we wanted to see what the difference is between mounting multiple sensors versus having this one mobile sensor that we can leave there pretty much indefinitely if it has a charger. So, so the obvious question to me there is the bad people yeah. could figure out where Spot is. Oh, yeah, it'd be a bigger payday. And go payday. on the other end <laughs> yeah. of the logging area because Spot can only be in one place at one time. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. As opposed yeah. to multiple microphones yeah. dotted throughout the region. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess that comes down to how big the logging area is. Mm-hmm. Spot can charge up and run for about an hour and a half at a time at full speed. So, I mean, if they're at the other end, I think that's beyond, like, the scope of my research right now. Right. Uh, I guess if, eventually if the frequency can pick up bigger yeah. distances, then that would have... Yeah. The bigger question is, is the robot costs a lot. Why are we going after the trees? So right. <laughs> <laughs> we could much more easily go after the robot and get yeah. a bigger payday. So... Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, but I guess this is the advantage of research is some of these things we just say, well, that's that's beyond the scope. So we're gonna right. we're gonna focus on this much smaller problem. But I totally get it for search and rescue. Yeah. Uh, because you know we have those, like I said, those robots that dismantle bombs and things yeah. and, and yeah. stuff. It makes total sense rather than a human going in there and yeah, in, even in in the suits and things. I mean, it could. There is danger money in that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this certainly has a lot of potential. So what have been the largest hurdles while developing this autonomous exploration system? I have two that come to mind. The, the first one's not that interesting. The second one's kind of funny. <laughs> the first one is that, so as the robot drives through the forest, it builds a map so that it can reference kind of where it is. Right, so like a GPS thing. Yeah, yeah like where... a GPS or like uh, the 3D maps you see on Google Maps. Yes. It's kind of building one of those as it, as it walks okay. along. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. So initially, I wanted to do 3D so that we have this like nice reconstruction of the forest and other people can reference it. Right. Uh, they can look for stuff within this map that Spot's building. The sensors on Spot, they demonstrate this kind of, I call it a banding effect, where the sensors are three-dimensional. So we're getting like all these little points back of where the uh, uh, different distances. Right. And it has this banding effect where, you know, uh, we have 10 centimeters of good data and then 10 centimeters of bad data, 10 centimeters of oh, good data. Okay. It's kind of like looking through shutter shades, yeah. I would say. Mm-hmm. And that made a really bad 3D representation of the world right. as we're going along. So we had to make a transition from 3D to 2D to kind of make the map more clean for the robot. Right. I worked on the 3D for about two months and then I had to rewrite the whole thing into 2D. And that, because I learned so much previously, that only took me two weeks. So. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Yeah, and then the more interesting one is we have, on the back of the robot, we have a uh, circular disc of four microphones, 
And what that allows us to do is we can identify the direction that the sound's coming from. Okay. Um, so it's like one of those things you see on those big planes with the little circle. Kind of, yeah, like a like a radar dish. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's basically a flat, non-moving radar dish for sound. And we can determine what directions the sound's coming from. The problem is, like I said previously, the robot's loud. It, it has five fans and then all of the equipment. We oh, have a computer to, to keep to it back. so it doesn't overheat. And Yeah. Yeah, so it makes a lot of fan noise. Mm. And you can imagine if someone's blowing in your ear, you can't hear what's around you very well. Right, right. They've yeah. got to learn how to sort of block off that white noise. Yeah, so this is actually the problem I've been tackling uh, the past two weeks that I was trying to get past this so right. that we could talk about other things. But <laughs> it's actually uh, the interesting solution to this um, or the simple solution to this. I'm tackling it with software too, but uh, we built kind of a, a mast that we put the microphones on. So the okay. simple solution is to move the microphones further away from, yeah, yeah. So it's up, so it's, it's got a, up the like back of the spot. Yeah. So the end of the tail sticking up. It looks like a, uh, I described it as a big mushroom sitting right. on the back of the spot because we have this kind of dinner plate thing mm -hmm. that blocks the noise from the motors underneath. Well, that, that makes sense. My only question there yeah. would be, as he's maneuvering yeah. through the forest, now he's got this great big dish above him, yeah. How does he make sure he, that doesn't get hit by a low-hanging branch? Or so Spot doesn't understand. Well, uh, as far as I know, Spot doesn't understand the kind of the size and the layout of the equipment on its back. Right. It knows the weight of it, so it has this funky dance that it does to determine where the weight is on its back, and then it, <laughs> it gives you suggestions on like, hey, move move the equipment further forwards or further back. Right. But yeah, we haven't had the opportunity to test that yet. So because might, you th if you yeah. think about nature. Birds, yeah. for instance, with their wingspan. Yeah. You know, we get a lot of birds at this time of year running into windows. Yeah. <laughs> because they're yeah. seeing straight through. And what they're seeing on the other side is, for instance, it could be a forest, but the the width of where the branches and things are, they know yeah. whether they can fit through that. So the birds themselves figure out with their wingspan or their size yeah. what they can fit through yeah, without touching. I don't think Spot's that advanced yet. Right. But uh, you could learn from the birds. Yeah, you could definitely. that would definitely be in, like the next avenue for research is uh, like how big can we make Spot and it still understands that it can fit through. So he knows its its own dimensions. Yeah, we actually we did a test on Summerhill. Summerhill has these amazing bushes where they're there's a space between them that varies as right. the season goes on because they grow out. Mm -hmm. So we were able to test like, hey, which bushes will Spot decide to go through and which ones it won't. Right. So uh, did he yeah. learn from one season to another? Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a, I would say like a five to 10 centimeter buffer zone on each side right. of its shoulders. It's about as wide as a chair. Right. So I would say 10 centimeters on either side and it's fine to go through. Because it could be interesting down the track if he does figure out this, then he knows... In certain areas, he can lower his little mushroom, <laughs> his yeah. little radar yeah. thing, to get underneath that branch and then yeah. raise it up again. I mean, if he could do that, figure that out himself. Yeah. We built the mushrooms so that, like, if we drive through a bush, it should bounce off. Right. This is actually the first time I'm calling it the mushroom. It's kind of funny. I was talking about this last <laughs> night to my colleague, and I said, we should call it the mushroom. And then I guess now it's... It's, it's the mushroom. It's concrete. No, it's the mushroom now. <laughs> we also built the mushroom that the robot... We can't sacrifice the robot because of mm -hmm. how long it would take to replace. So everything on the back of the spot robot is built to take a beating or right. simultaneously break off so that we don't injure the robot. Injure the rest of it. Yeah. Right. You just have to replace that one bit. Yeah. And so far it's worked. It's gone sailing down our stairs. Uh, accidentally in our lab, <laughs> not not because of me driving it, 
<laughs> and it's it's survived. So oh, that's awesome. It's well designed. Well, I love it. Well, well, let's let's move into you know where you're doing all this, yeah. and you you know you mentioned the Ingenuity Labs. Yeah. Here, um, tell us more about the Ingenuity Labs and the kind of group work that is getting done there, because I know it's oh, in Mitchell Hall, top tons floor, of examples. and uh, you know it's an amazing place. Yeah. But and I know you've done tours from time to time for people yeah. to see what's going on, including the, for the prime minister. So yeah. tell us a bit more. You know, what's the purpose of the Ingenuity Labs? So this is great. I'm well versed in this. So Ingenuity Labs. You were in the last stuff too. So. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so Ingenuity Labs is uh, it's a it's a very large lab. We like to call it. Well, I like to call it the premier lab of Queens because we do so much amazing work. If you because we're on the radio, if if you want to imagine it in your mind, if you've seen the movie Big Hero 6. No, uh, oh, sorry. It's a Disney movie. The The older brother is a researcher at university. Okay. The lab they have is very high tech, and everyone works very well together. Great. That's in a direct translation to Ingenuity Labs. So as I mentioned before, we have about, I would say, 20 profs that mm-hmm. are, we collaborate with and over 150 research projects. Each prof will have, you know, five to ten researchers. We primarily focus in uh, artificial intelligence, human machine interactions, and then general robotic applications. Right. And we kind of, we've been able to pool our resources so that we can purchase equipment and be able to share it. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. But I think one of the important parts is, you mentioned how many professors and things are there, yeah. but they're not just from your department, like electrical oh, and no, computer engineering. So we've got mechanical engineers and other yeah. sorts of engineers and computing scientists. Yeah, that's part of the collaboration. So we have people in CS, computer engineering, um, mechanical, electrical. I'm sure we have some that specialize in AI, like I mentioned. We have some from the up-and-coming mechatronics uh, program at Queens, which right. man, I wish I wish that existed when I did my undergrad. I would have loved to do that. Well, it's um, good way we've got these new programs coming through. Yeah, yeah, and I would like to mention so Ingenuity Labs because we do this kind of general robotic applications type stuff and human machine interactions. We're always looking for collaborative partners. So right. if other departments at Queens have these great ideas for robotic applications or ways that machines can interact with humans, definitely get in contact with our lab. We work with tons of people and is that also looking for partners in um industry partners and things as well yeah so we work with the the our biggest two are the city of kingston and uh general dynamics right yeah so more specific i can't really talk about the the other yeah the (laughs) other one but the city of kingston um one of the great applications and the great projects that has been recently applied is uh, we have the third crossing bridge that, yes. that just opened. Yes. So we have a researcher that mounted uh, sway sensors to the bridge so we can oh, measure okay. how much the, the bridge is like flexing during different parts of the season. Right. And, you know, she had developed this great big like sensor array. Well, it has to endure all the different weather that Kingston has. Yes, which is, yeah, <laughs> brutal at <laughs> it's times. It's been bad recently. <laughs> so, you know, for a while she was testing the system. We had a like a deep freezer in our lab oh, so she would, <laughs> she would put the sensors in it and then you know cycle the deep freezers from hot to cold right and so far that i think we've had one short shutdown but for i would say three months it was running flawlessly so that's great yeah because yeah, we want to make sure those bridges stay up stay where they should be yeah i mean it's a great addition to, to kingston so well that that's that's a lovely collaboration where queens and kingston are working together to make sure yeah. things work yeah. Um, for the benefit of the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I think the data will be public. I think they're building like a basically a website probably where you can go see 
uh, you know, is the bridge swaying too much? <laughs> yeah, you, again, you have those images of the bridges and certain places yeah. in San Francisco and places like that, yeah. and they're doing these big wobbles, and you think, oh, my God, what's going on there? <laughs> um, bring out the engineers who built it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is us checking in on it. We've also done work on Wolf Island. The we, There's a giant concrete 3D printer on Wolf Island. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's one of the only ones in a the concrete country. concrete 3D printer. Yeah, it looks like a regular 3D printer, except oh. uh, kind of with a cement truck attached to it oh. and uh, they're using it for pouring foundations and building oh, houses eventually right? yeah so instead yeah. of doing it in plastic they're doing it in concrete that's yeah. what you mean yeah okay i thought that the, the machine itself was concrete oh no yeah. <laughs> i'm sure parts of it are but yeah so this wow. is just going towards uh you know innovative ways of building houses mm-hmm. i could go on there's tons of projects that we've worked on we have a project right now where people in kingston have probably seen this but when they put a new building in they put these great big signs that say hey you know in a couple months there we're going to have a town hall meeting about this building right yes yeah, so one of our new researchers, Satare, she is doing a app where the local community can take a picture of the sign, and then the sign will actually, it'll project what the building's going to look like right. on the foundation. Okay. So that we can, as a community, see what the building's going to look like before the town hall. So we can see whether it's going to be hideous or it's actually yeah. going to fit into the yeah. environment. We can make decisions, because a lot of times these town halls are empty. Because, mm-hmm. you know, people read the sign and they don't really have much information to go off of. Exactly. So, yeah. Or like difficult for the older generation who don't always have... Yeah, well, we'll have both options. Oh, good. So, good, good, yeah. good. So with all these sort of projects and things going on, and I know, I know you said there's times you've had tours, is is this something that the Ingenuity Labs would like to do more of to show? I mean, I know you have to be careful yeah. with IP, intellectual property, and well, not doing things too... Showing things too early. That's actually a great question. So... We don't do like regular public tours. We do tours for, you know, the professor has a class and they want to go on a, uh, you know, a short trip instead of teaching for that day. Uh, we'll do those kind of tours. We'll do tours for other other researchers. But the good thing is uh, Science Rendezvous is coming up. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, Ingenuity Labs is going to be there. So we're going to have... Oh, awesome. The spot robot might actually make an appearance. Um, we have another legged robot, a smaller one. That'll definitely be there. And then we'll have basically over, say, the past five to seven years, we've accumulated a bunch of different demos. So we like to bring those demos to, you know, say, Science Rendezvous and have the kids uh, interact You with know, them. that's the perfect place for it yeah. because you can get the kids at a younger age interested oh, yeah. in this. I mean... To me, that's the the ultimate. Bring the high schoolers in, even the elementary schoolers yep. in, and get them interested in research and developing something new and seeing for themselves. You know, this is the kind of thing that you could be making. Yeah. Um, and do you realise the implications of something like this? You got to start them young, get them interested, and show them that pretty much whatever they can think about and it can be made in some form right so we've had one high school come to our lab uh, and then we've also reached out to another high school and did a presentation there so we're, we're trying our best uh, to generate interest so well, that's brilliant well frank thank you so much for coming on the show yeah. this has been fascinating i'm looking forward to eventually one day seeing spot the dog yeah and uh, the application that you're looking at with the the sound and, and making him do hunt out those people that shouldn't be in the forest right now and other applications of course with that yeah thank you very much this is a great program so i'm glad to come on love it love it love it love it so that's it everyone a another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either itunes google Podcasts, spotify and cfrc podcast just typing grad chat until next week this is cj the dj signing off with a big hooray
Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.